0: Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane and this is episode 45. This episode of Parallel is brought to you by The Inside Track from Microsoft. Today on the show, I'm talking with someone who works at Microsoft, but the advertising and the content of this show are completely separate as they always are. I book guests for the show and advertising is sold by other folks at Relay FM. Keeping those sides of the house separate, maintaining editorial integrity is super important to me, as I know it is to you. Thanks, and enjoy the show. I'm really excited today to have a guest who makes software that I like and use myself. And that's always amazing to me as somebody who's not a developer that a person can uh, or a group even can can make a great piece of software that uh, benefits me in my own life and uh, no, I know, benefits a lot of people that that I know. And uh, I've talked to him before, not for parallel, but for other podcasts. And his name is Saqib Sheikh, and he is a software engineer at Microsoft and the team lead for Seeing AI. Sakib, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you very much. Pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: Sakib, it's great to have you here. And uh, people may or may not know about Seeing AI, but, but my guess is a lot of them don't know who you are. And and I've known you for a really long time, since before you were at Microsoft and since when you were running a, a list called the mailing list called the Mac Visionaries list. Uh, and and so you you go back with Apple technology, you know, way back to, what, 15 years or maybe longer?
1: Yeah, even more. Mac Visionaries was a fun time when I first heard that Apple was going to build a screen reader into their operating system. This is predating. I've been at Microsoft 15 years, so this predates that few years. And it's just very exciting times when, as someone who's blind, this idea that accessibility would be just baked in. And so I got very excited and created a little website and a community and a mailing list. And those are fun days, uh, late night Skype calls, helping people around the world.
0: For a while, that was really one of the only communities around VoiceOver for the Mac that I'm aware of.
1: I think it was. It was definitely the main one for several years. And it was just this, this feeling that this, this was a big change. And you look back and it and it truly is. As you can also see from the documentary series you did on you know, building iOS, sorry, VoiceOver into iOS and so forth. So it's, it's really, you look back, and that was the beginning, but it's changed so much for the accessibility world.
0: In those days, it was sort of a hobbyist kind of thing. People who were using VoiceOver on the Mac or using screen readers of any kind on the Mac were... Outliers. Most people were using Windows and Jaws and other other screen readers, but but why did you decide that you wanted to get into the Mac?
1: For me, it was as a techie. So I'd always been into Unix and Linux and all this uh, through my computer science background, and so I was intrigued by the idea of having that Unix underpinnings on a machine like a Mac. So I was just always interested in trying new things, learning new things.
0: Well, you did have to spend a little time in the command line in those days, I'm sure. So, well, well, let's talk about your your evolution moving to Microsoft. Was that a pretty big event in your career that you you ended up in Microsoft? And what kind of work did you start out doing there?
1: It really was. Um, you know, I was early 20s, recently after out of college, and I was like, you know, am I going to join Apple over in Cupertino or Microsoft in the UK? And and that was a, you know, it was a big decision. Like um, after college, where do you go? I, feel, I expect many of your listeners have gone through that same thing. But my goodness, it's been an incredible journey through Microsoft. And I started off making solutions for Microsoft customers um, and helping customers adopt latest technology and that kind of stuff. And I spent the first ten years at Microsoft doing accessibility as a hobby. I wanted to prove myself as a mainstream software engineer. That was really important to me.
0: I can relate to that. I've I've told the story at various times on shows of mine that I spent most of my career working in mainstream world and sort of hacked my own accessibility. So I, I absolutely relate to that. But then you got the opportunity to do something amazing at Microsoft, which was is not just to work in accessibility, but to build a product from scratch. And it's it's a pretty interesting story. Can you so talk about how Seeing AI came to be inside Microsoft?
1: I'd always been helping different teams and doing accessibility, Sorry, but as you say, there was this hackathon, uh, the very first company-wide one after Satya Nadella became CEO, so 2014 I believe this was, and I thought, I'm not just doing another little hack like we've done many of those. I thought, I want to do the biggest, best thing I can. And that year, I, I brought together my sort of long interest in artificial intelligence and disability and made something similar to what seeing ended up being but you know doing reading text recognizing people it was very rudimentary and didn't work very well but this was founded in some challenges i had myself by you know reading text around me or identifying people in the corridor and you know it got some prizes but it didn't go that far and then but the next year i met with some really bright guys in silicon valley And you know, when you want to make something happen, you need all sorts of people with all sorts of skills. So the next annual hackathon, and it really has become an annual phenomenon at Microsoft, um, had a really big team across uh, the Redmond campus in Silicon Valley in London, and a whole bunch of people came together. We made it even better and got a lot more attention from executives. And eventually that became my day job. That's so cool
0: what was ai like in 2014 or i guess maybe the the way to say it best would be what how, what can you say about the evolution of what we thought of as artificial intelligence then until now
1: artificial intelligence goes back i'm going to say to the 60s and you know and sort of evolves over time and um, everything is ai until it's so common that it stops being ai <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I remember studying this at university in you know the early two thousands, and our professor saying you could never get a job doing neural networks, and that's just such a funny job uh, joke now. But but um, I think a big turning point was two thousand and fifteen, which happened to be the, you know that same time that we were doing the second hackathon, where deep neural networks were becoming more common. This is this idea that neural networks are able to They basically detect patterns. You show them lots of data, and by I'm trying to simplify very much, but by drawing the pattern of determining the patterns, they're able to predict future things. And you can imagine this in computer vision and speech recognition have been some of the big successes. Speech recognition used to be quite quirky and inaccurate, but it really is remarkably good now. And same with computer vision. So there's a lot of luck in the timing as well. When Seeing AI came on stage with the CEO Satya Nadella at the 2016 Build conference, that was a huge moment for our team. That, you know, we're on stage with the CEO. But that was the same Build conference where AI was the thing. So it was also this perfect timing of um, all of this AI becoming more advanced and more readily available.
0: Did you always feel like AI had applications for accessibility even before you started the hack project that became Seeing AI?
1: Yeah, so in, you know, back to university, it was something I studied and was interested in. And if you think about it, a lot of the things which might not feel like accessibility today started off as such, whether that is optical character recognition, you know, recognizing text in an image, or text to speech or speech recognition. In their time, these were all cutting-edge AI. So absolutely. Or even, you know, things like predictive text, which is so common, are all things originally uh, inspired by the needs of disabled people.
0: This episode of Parallel is brought to you by The Inside Track from Microsoft. So where I am in central Texas, we're undergoing quite the winter storm at the moment. And you know what? That gives you a lot of downtime to listen to podcasts. And fortunately, I love listening to podcasts and finding new ones. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, try The Inside Track with host and resident car guy, Carrie LaBelle. The show features interviews with industry experts, insiders, and analysts, covering long-term trends, evolving expectations of consumers, and the effects of technology advancements on industry strategies. Each show covers a bunch of segments, including AI and BI use in automotive manufacturing, connected vehicles, cloud simulations, and intelligent infrastructure. And guests include folks from Audi, Toyota, Anata, Ansys, and SBD Automotive. I listened to an episode of the Inside Track that was all about simulation and how that technology is used to make it possible to design autonomous vehicles and to test them. And I am, I'm not a car person. I don't know how they make regular cars, but it was fascinating to learn how much technology and how much simulation goes into the development of autonomous vehicles go and listen to it now just search for the inside track wherever you get your podcasts or click the link in the show notes our thanks to the inside track from microsoft for support of this show and all of relay fm well let's talk about seeing ai so what it is now is an ios app that is free from microsoft that includes a lot of different I, I don't know if modules is the right word, but it includes includes a lot of functions that allow you to use your computer's camera to learn information about the objects and other things in in your in your surroundings. But why don't you give a a better sort of explanation of what seeing AI is and, and how it works?
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. So yeah, it's a talking camera app, we call it. And like a camera app, you can point it to things, you can take photos. And as you mentioned, there are different channels. You switch channels based on what kind of information you want. And it can re-text in real time so that you're just pointing at an envelope and quickly finding out who it's addressed to, or you're scanning a barcode. And it will give you audio cues to help you line up and identify where on the packet the barcode is through to recognizing people and objects and um, much more. And even on your photo gallery, you can browse the photos on your phone, and it will give you computer-generated descriptions of those photos.
0: When the first version of Seeing AI came along, I demonstrated it to a lot of people who didn't have a visual disability. And of course, I'd use the people recognition because you'd point it at someone and it would identify the person by age and by gender and by ex- facial expression, which was sort of a great trick, uh, it, but it was the best example for somebody who isn't using this on a day-to-day basis. For folks who do use it on a day-to-day basis, identifying things like currency or being able to read a mail, their mail or a barcode, those are just, you know, life enhancements. They're not sort of nice to have or, or, or party tricks. Is, is that the focus of your team trying to make tools within Seeing AI that are actually have some practical use as opposed to just that give good demos? Absolutely
1: on the one hand we are showcasing the latest ai at microsoft but the reason we do everything is really to improve people's lives to make it possible to do things that you know maybe were possible before but can we make things easier and i often think of it as bringing together the needs of our customers we're always talking to people to understand you know what are you using what are you still finding challenging and what are the other road bumps in life that we could try and smooth out. And on the flip side, talking to all the scientists working on cutting edge tech and seeing, okay, how do we bring user problems and emerging tech together? And that's the exciting intersection.
0: And how do you think about what new features you want to add? We're going to get to a new feature that was made possible by some upgraded hardware in the iPhone 12 Pro. But how do you think about which are the most important features to add and whether you're you know, getting too many or what's the the right amount of functionality for a piece of software like seeing AI?
1: Again, it's really bringing together what are we hearing from customers? What do users say are the top challenges in, in life in general related to blindness? And then of those, you know, what are the most practical to solve with the latest technologies? How do we bring those two together?
0: And are you continuing to focus on blindness and visual impairment? Because I would imagine that there would be some AI applications for people with other disabilities, whether it be deafness or motor disability, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, we've actually looked at those and we've worked with other teams at Microsoft in in that space. But right now we are focusing on the, the blindness community specifically. <laughs>
0: Well, let's talk about the new World Channel, which takes advantage of the LiDAR sensor in high end iPhones and in the 2020 iPad Pro. Just, just tell us what, I guess, uh, we know f- two things about LiDAR, that it is in the these iPhone and iPad cameras in order to facilitate uh, low-light photography, but that also Apple itself has created an accessibility feature, this people detection feature. But you guys have taken it at least one and maybe a couple steps further.
1: Yeah, so this was really exciting. As we saw this, we realized straight away that it was going to open up new possibilities. So I talked about a talking camera app because right now computer vision is really good at understanding images, the 2D world. But what we had the opportunity to do here is recognize the 3D world. So augmented reality builds up a model of what's around you. So we think of this as audio augmented reality because we don't, you're not really needing to see And now. We can describe what's around you, what the objects are around you in 3D space. And if there's a chair, you'll hear the word chair announced from where the chair is. It's really quite cool, if you're wearing headphones, that is. And that's enabled by the LiDAR because the LiDAR sends out a beam of light and measures how long it takes to come back, like how far away is that object. And that allows us to pinpoint things in 3D space. So we know, how to project the sound from the chair or you can place a beacon on an object so when we put it out there I love this you always put something out there and You're like what are people going to use this for and you know the first reports came in someone was like I placed a you know one of these augmented reality beacons on a doorway and I could just walk through the doorway without touching the sides and that was just gratifying to hear. So there's three aspects to this new world channel, as we call it. And the third is the proximity, haptic proximity sensor. This actually gives you, lets you feel via haptics how far away things are as judged by the lidar. And that's really cool because you can understand the contour of the edge of a room. Say you're pointing at a wall and there's an opening, you'll it'll suddenly drop off as you pass through the opening and pick up again as you hit the wall again. So it's kind of this pointer in your hand, and you have that haptic um, feedback as to how far away things are. So this is all our first step from 2D into 3D, and there's a lot more where that came from.
0: So you can scan live, if you will. You can hold your phone up and point your camera and get information about what your surroundings are. But you can also essentially map the space and then with the beacon you can come back later and say, this is the beacon this is where the door is, this is where the chair is. Is that the sort of thing that you might be adding onto later? Because I, I find the mapping thing fascinating, but it seems like it's very temporal. You can you can map it for now and you can find the door in a couple of minutes when you need it, but you're not yet creating maps that could be saved and brought up for later.
1: Yep, that is definitely a possibility. Um, the, it is very temporary right now because with objects, they can certainly move, you know there's a t- chair now, a chair there right now, and you know you should probably scan it again to make sure it's still there half an hour from now um, but there are there's definitely this idea of building up this three d model of the world, and you know you can only imagine where we might go with that.
0: This is now a phone app. Uh, people talk about how. AI and AR could be used in other kinds of devices, wearable devices, glasses, uh, phones mounted in some some way. Do you think a lot about different kinds of hardware that, that seeing AI or software like it could be used in?
1: Definitely, we think a lot about that. Like our very first prototype back to 2015-16 was in fact a pair of sunglasses connected to um, Microsoft's Azure Cloud. And you know, that worked. But we realized that if we want to have the maximum social impact, we need to get this into a device that's already in people's hands. And in the future, if we ever find the right device at the right price point with the right, you know, consumer focus, then I would love to have other form factors as well. But it's really, how do you reach the most people? It's very easy to make a prototype, uh, but we want to do this at scale.
0: Just as the availability of LiDAR gives you access to new potential features, so would a different kind of device. But are there sort of things that are on your wish list? And I'm not asking you to to just talk about future products specifically, but what are some of the kinds of things that you'd really like to do if the hardware was available to do it, or if AI software was sufficiently advanced that that would let you do it?
1: It's fun to dream big. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) I definitely think that, you know, some kind of wearable would be really great. Maybe it's head-worn. A lot of people often go straight to glasses. I personally am more a favor of something that doesn't go over your face, because As a blind person, I don't need the screen. And for some people, that can be interfere with your normal uh, vision. But I also think about the whole world getting more intelligent. In this world where we have sensors and connected devices all over the place, then I have this vision of, I sometimes think of it like a friend sitting on my shoulder, whispering in my ear. Um, In techie terms, I call this assistive agents. This idea that each one of us is different. Each one of us has very specific needs, whether that's someone who is blind or a different disability or someone who doesn't speak the local language or has a different way of thinking. So I want this assistive agent to build up a model of my world, to build up a model of my preferences, and to be that, fill in that gap for me so that I can experience the world I want to, and enabled me to do even more. That's kind of a big, crazy vision. But, you know, maybe it's a decade away, but I feel that there is so much power in AI and these possibilities that, you know, my little friend sitting on my shoulder whispering in my ear could be like a sighted guide when I don't have a friend with me at that moment, telling me what's going on around me while I'm walking down the street, telling me about the new shop that wasn't there yesterday, but just opened up, telling me about um, some... Chaos that's going on over the street. Why not? Like, I, if I can dream big, that's where I'd love to go one day.
0: <laughs> and there are services like Be My Eyes and Ira that essentially offer a, a human friend to do that with some assistance from the ability to look out through the camera. And also, in the case of Ira, they've got some AI functionality. And I, I guess I wonder if you are confident enough in the capabilities. Of machines that they would replace or substantially replace the, the need for human-based feature functions like that.
1: I love the remote human assistance as well. I think you know these are all just tools in your tool belt. And remote human assistance plays a really valuable role. But at the same time, it's not always appropriate, it's not always comfortable. Um sometimes and it depends on individual preferences and personalities. So maybe you want that sense of autonomy and independence a bit more, or you don't want someone hanging on, even if you're paying them on the other end of a line. Um, And, you know, the vision I paint is a way off, uh, but there are stepping stones to getting there. Um, So I I think everything has its place. But even in that, you know, 10-year-down-the-road vision, I don't think it should ever replace the human. It's all about augmenting the human's abilities. How do you get someone to do more? Because we are all independent and capable human beings, and the machine should be filling in those gaps, which we each need, whatever they are for us, rather than replacing anyone.
0: One thing I wonder about is how a system like that would, and obviously we're we're, we're pie in the sky, we're dreaming out, I'm not asking you to talk about something super specific, so I'm not holding you accountable for it. But I guess one of the que- one of the thoughts I have is there's so much information available in the world, whether it be all the shops on the street or whether it be activity, you know, a half a block away that a person with normal vision can see, but that you, you might not be able to, or that might not be interesting to you because it's, you're not going to interact with it. And I guess I wonder if that That dream would include the ability for a user to to filter the kind of information or to add to what the software knows about the individual. So, for example, I really like coffee and I really like pastries. And so I'm a little more interested maybe in the pastry shop than the jewelry shop. And I would like my A.I. to to know that and say, hey, this is this place just opened. You would probably like it. There's a pie in the window.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that's going to be key. And part of it might be the user doing the filtering, but I also see it as this combination of the user and the technology, the assistive agent, as I called it, that you can teach it things and it can learn your preferences and what's important to you when. So what you're interested in at work is very different to when you're um, at home or walking down the street. And that personalization is going to be key because each of one is each of e sorry each one of us is is very different and unique and individual. Well,
0: let's talk about the the people detection aspect of seeing AI in general and the the world feature. Now that doesn't use the people detection or people recognition feature within the other channel of seeing AI, does it? If I'm using the lidar, it's not going to identify an individual or tell me about their gender or their age.
1: Um, it, it doesn't right really now. I think we're going to add person identification into the world channel as you can on the person channel right now. So you just would look towards someone with your camera and it would tell you who's there. So that's one aspect that we will be definitely bringing across.
0: Now, does the world channel operate, if you if you don't have a LiDAR equipped iPhone, the world channel, is, is is it available or is it not available at all?
1: No, it's only available on LiDAR devices. Okay. So we get that as accurate as possible 3D
0: because a lot of what scene does and what people the people channel does i mean th- those things Are the world is reminiscent of those, but it's using lidar to make them available. But if I have a phone that doesn't have lidar in it, I can continue using scene, and it'll still make guesses about what's in my environment. It just won't have as much information with which to do it.
1: Exactly. The the feature set is slightly different. The key difference is you can think of those as sort of photography-based channels. So, I am, especially in the scene channel, I'm going to take a photo of something, and it will describe what's in the photo. Here, what we're, this is very, World Channel is our first step towards this 3D world understanding, this idea that we will let you know what's around you and then even eventually interact with the things around you. So it, it's the beginning of our steps in that 3D
0: space. Does it really depend on LiDAR to move forward? Are there other things you can do with AI that are possible with? Mobile phone hardware as it's developing without the AI without the lidar because Apple continues to sell phones that have a machine learning component to it and I don't know whether those have have changed over time but I would assume that they would make what you do easier. Absolutely,
1: the computer vision part, the recognizing images is getting faster and faster and better every single year, and that is incredible to have that. We are relying on lidar because it gives us the most accuracy at knowing where things are and the spatial awareness and building up their model. Um, We started to experiment with bringing some features of that back into a 2D space or simulating 3D. But right now, I think we are getting the best experience with LiDAR. And I think that technology is just going to become more available over time.
0: And and hopefully in a larger range of phones, because I know that was my only real issue when I heard about it coming to the most expensive phones, which obviously got it because those were the phones with the best cameras too, that I I think we'd all like to see LiDAR and more devices.
1: Absolutely. Um, Again, we don't know any plans, but I I would hope that more and more devices each year get um, LiDAR and this becomes more and more affordable and just part of um, what phones can do. And right now, this is I think it's pretty cutting edge stuff where we're doing this 3D world understanding for people who are blind this audio augmented reality experience and it's the it's the beginning of something that I hope we'll work on over more and more over time
0: so you talked about how uh, when you were demonstrating Seeing AI Prototype back at two, in 2016 at the BUILD, Build Conference that there were people from across Microsoft who were coming together to uh, help make that possible. And I, I guess I'm wondering where that has gone in terms of the, the rest of Microsoft. How have other parts of Microsoft been impacted by what you've been doing with Seeing AI?
1: Since that first prototype, those first few hackathons, we've had a flurry of inquiries and volunteers from across the company. And I kind of think of this almost as my mission rather than my job. And we have so many people from across the company wanting to help, wanting to contribute. And that's been really great. But then it's also just this tangible demonstration of what AI is capable of. AI is inside you know, I don't want to say all, but so many different parts of the software that Microsoft makes now. And it's changing the world. Yet with seeing AI, I think it's a very tangible way that we are helping people through AI. So a lot of interest and then a lot of, it's basically a way to show what AI is capable of.
0: It also seems to me, and and all of the big tech companies have been talking more about accessibility lately and how they've been able to add accessibility to existing products but what's interesting about seeing AI to me is it's it's a purpose-built product that came up from Microsoft employees who also were users of a tool and you, you weren't being asked to graft accessibility onto something that already existed. And I feel like that's a little bit of what Apple did with people detection and with some of the other accessibility features that are part of iOS 14. I mean, do you agree? Do you feel like that's a trend that we're seeing more where accessibility for its own sake and that creates features that are specifically for people with disabilities is becoming more prevalent?
1: To some extent, yes. So you have these grassroots efforts like seeing AI was where there's someone with a passion for solving a problem. And I think companies are realizing that passionate, engaged employees can really create remarkable things, which you know may not directly be a revenue-generating product, but they can inf- influence and impact the company in other ways. And if you look at seeing AI, we talked about the scene channel that describes images. Now that technology is available across all the Microsoft Office Suite, uh, PowerPoint, and or PowerPoint in particular, but Word as well, and so forth. So that technology has moved into software that a billion people use, and there are many other examples of that as well. And you think about um, speech recognition and transcription for people who are hard of hearing. That's just baked into so many different products that Microsoft make from, you know, Teams to Office, and on and on and on, to have that live transcription. So these are examples where. We may look at some of these technologies from a disability angle first, but then they become a key part of much bigger products.
0: I, I love the idea, though, that it starts with disability and accessibility because there it seems like there might have been a sense in the past where, oh, we have to retrofit to add accessibility to something that exists. But now you're kind of in a, on a leading edge track where you're saying this is how we've used this technology in an accessibility context, so it's of value to people with disabilities, but, oh, by the way, we're going to add it to these mainstream products so that people with disabilities, when they go into PowerPoint or when they go into Teams, have access to that baked in.
1: Totally. And, you know, that's where my passion lies, is in talking to the community, figuring what the problems are, and then using this cutting edge to solve those problems and, there's, there's so many opportunities I, I wish you know i had a, a dozen more arms and much more time
0: <laughs> right i can imagine well that's a good segue into what i was going to ask you next is how you get feedback on what you hear from your 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 customers how do, how do people make their suggestions and their uh, their feedback known to you
1: yeah so definitely reach out anytime seeing ai at microsoft.com and on Twitter, you can contact MSFT Enable or I am Sakibes. But also, we're just reading the blogs, listening to the podcasts like this one, and when you know, prior to COVID and after, um, we're at many of the conferences, and that's the most fun time—just hanging out with users and and you know, having those informal chats about about how you find different things in seeing AI, but also in the world at large.
0: Yeah, I, for one, am really looking forward to taking Seeing AI out to a conference again because there's so many uses for this technology, blind people just finding each other or finding things in hotels or while traveling. I we haven't really scratched the surface of all the ways that people can hack their own accessibility with with a tool like this, but uh, maybe when we all get to go out of our houses more, uh, I'll be able to do some more of that.
1: Definitely, looking forward to it.
0: So uh, right now, Seeing AI is available for iOS. It's in the App Store. Are you planning any uh, Android developments?
1: Uh, No plans are present, but yeah, it's available at seeingai.com and on the App Store.
0: Awesome. Sakhib Sheikh from Microsoft, thank you so much for being on Parallel. It It was really great to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. Pleasure being here.